Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael Pinkowski, and welcome to Awesomers.com. I am your sometimes guest host uh, to give Steve uh, a break from, from uh, doing all these. And uh, this is episode 82. We're going to do a book of the week this week, if you're ready. And the book is Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland. He is a co-creator of Scrum. Uh, Scrum is this uh, it's a development platform. It's a, it's a way of uh, developing software, working on projects, things like that. You've probably heard about it. I'd heard about it. And uh, a number of years ago, I ran across this book. And I, I just thought, man, I really like these principles. I really want to know more about it. And uh, so I read it. I've listened to it again and again. And now in my current position of trying to get uh, a company going and doing a lot of software development, it came back into my mind and I thought I'd share it with all of you. So let's get into it a little bit. Uh, first of all, you know, they say in a small company that everyone is in sales. And that's true because, you know, nothing happens until somebody makes a sale. But it's also true that everyone is a project manager, right? In a small company, Steve and I used to say all the time, everybody's got three jobs. You know, somebody would come in and say, but, but, but what about, I don't know how to do this. We'd say, hey, listen, everybody's got three jobs. That's one of yours. Uh, we're sure you can figure it out. Let us know if you need help. So getting things done, managing projects, uh, especially in small companies, is a, a critical skill. And uh, I thought this book would help you as you are working as an awesomer uh, in your business to, to uh, pick up some of these skills and know some of these topics. I want to give a caveat first, and I'm, I'm hesitant to pose as an expert or even particularly knowledgeable about Scrum or Agile or any of this stuff. I'm talking to you about a book that I've read that means a lot to me. It's clearly an introduction. There are advanced people out there. There are advanced courses. There are advanced certifications. There's a whole lot of people that have lived and died in this stuff in a much, much higher level than I have. Um, I'm just trying to give you my experience uh, and, and a kind of a rundown on this book and why I want you to think about it if you haven't already. If you're already pretty advanced in this stuff, please don't get mad at me. I'm doing my best to, you know, uh, open the doors of the church and let more people in uh, to come to believe in Scrum as a, as a way of working on things. 
And then I do have a selfish reason. You know, they say that the best way to, to uh, learn is by teaching. And I'll tell you, as I've gone back through some of these things, it has um, helped me to realize why I'm not getting projects done as fast as I want to and why um, uh, things have, have been slower than, than I wanted. And so I'm looking at changing the way I do things, and it's helped me to try to you know build out this uh, podcast for you. Um, it's helped me to, to kind of pick up some of these principles. So there, there's a bonus there. Uh, you can learn by teaching. If you find yourself wishing that, that you wanted to know how to do something, suck it up and, and uh, teach, try to teach it to somebody and you'll, you'll go a long ways. All right, so let's, before we go to a break, let me give you the background on, on kind of how this thing came to be. This Jeff Sutherland guy um, uh, was involved in a, a project. The FBI was working on a project called Sentinel, and this was going to be something where they were going to bring all of their uh, systems together online and, and start to coordinate. This was after 9-11, and they wanted to figure out a way to, to be able to coordinate much better on, on interagencies and, in, and within agencies. And so they put together this project. And they needed a new system. They priced it out uh, with some contractors, and it came to $451 million. And they said it was going to take four years to build this thing. Five years later, remember, on a, this is the fifth year of a four-year project, they had spent 90% of that money, over $400 million. And they knew that they were going to need another $350 million and several more years to get it done. So they were already over time, they were on the brink of going over budget and they were going to totally blow out the budget. And they just, and this was critical stuff, right? This is uh, FBI, Homeland Security, all that stuff. There's millions of, uh, uh, the, the 300 million American lives are, are resting on this thing working. And um, the FBI was not happy with the time that it was taking. So they brought this guy in and he looked around and he said, man, you know, these are smart people and they're using the right technology. They are working hard and they are, you know, they've got competitive juices. They're, they're, this is everything you'd want to, to go to work on a project of this scale and this size and this importance. And he finally saw that the problem was the way that they worked. And, and he had to admit that even that wasn't exactly wrong, um, it, it, but, but it was the problem. And by not even wrong, what he means is they were following something that's called the waterfall method. And this is another one of those things. At one point, I said I learned five things in my MBA program, and, and one of them was uh, project management. It was something I'd never really heard of before, and they taught it to me, and, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. As I get into Scrum, I find out they taught me the wrong way. Here's, here's, here's the waterfall method. This is the one I paid a lot of money for to learn in MBA school. It starts with the project, and you outline the requirements. What is this project going to do? And that's called the discovery phase. And once you've got those all put together, then you outline, well, how are we going to meet those requirements, right? How, what, you know, what's the database going to look like? What are the tools going to look like? What are the interfaces going to look like? And that's the design stage, uh, the technical side. Once you've got all that laid out, you say, all right, now we can get to work. Let's do some coding and uh, we'll test it and we'll you know figure out what's wrong and we'll write new stuff and we'll keep coding and coding and coding. And this is the development stage. 
this is what everybody thinks you know should go really fast um and then you get to the uh, client approval and launch or the the, the test stage where it, it kind of has to meet the real world um and this is again this is what i was taught in my mba program this is how stuff was done you may have heard of uh, gantt charts uh, critical path charts um this is the classic waterfall method and by the way if you're watching on if you're just listening on audio you might want to find the video i've got a graphic uh put together that, that walks you through that so it's good right you know again it was it was it was taught to me it's used all over the time it the only thing that's wrong with it is that it's wrong it this this battle plan never survives the first day in the field and this is what uh jeff sutherland meant when he said you know he had the right people the right technology the right uh they, they certainly had plenty of money um it was the way they were going about it that that was wrong it, and even that is you know how people were taught but but the issue was the way they were going about it so how did they fix it well uh the first thing that he and his team did was they unwound all of the outside contracts they just uh uh told everybody uh, thanks for everything but goodbye then they went and they grabbed the uh, documents of what this system needed to do and there were 1100 requirements uh and he went around the room to the, a lot of the senior guys that signed off on all this money and uh, he said have you read this thing and and they go well no it's it's huge how can we read it he says has anybody in the room read all of these requirements and nobody had so he says, all right. So they sit down and they literally cut like cut and paste, uh, took their scissors out and put together the 1100 requirements of what needed to be done. And then, and this is the key, and this is a, a thing that I keep making a mistake on, they prioritized them. And they prioritized based on the value to the project. And and, and the project really was the, the, you know, the customers. And it's the 80-20 rule, right? When you buy something, 80% of the value comes from 20% of, of the thing. So he uses the example, and it's an excellent one, of uh, Microsoft Word. And, you know, when you 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 get 80% of what you want out of Word from using just 20% of the features, right? Open up a blank document. Let me put words in there. Let me change the fonts and the format. Let me save it. That's that's everything. Built in there is a footnoting system and a, a you know a reference system and all kinds of other mathematical notation systems and macros. There's all kinds of code in there that does all kinds of other stuff. But the reality is you get 80% of the value from just 20% of the code. And so he says, let's prioritize the stuff that we're going to do uh, based on the value that we can deliver back to our customers. With the outside contractors gone, he was able to cut the team down from 220 people to 40. And the reality is he used even fewer than that on the core team. And they built the last half of the system in just 12 months. Uh, and then there was some months of testing, but, the, but it was built in 12 months. And they only spent $20 million. How did they do it? Well, they, they, they got going faster. That is, they accelerated because they had fewer obstacles. They worked better and smarter. They did not work longer. They, you know, they didn't bring in these 40 guys and say, listen, you know, you're going to work you know, 80 or 100-hour weeks. Um, they just worked better and smarter. The end result was with 5% of the budget, remember they had already 
the other the previous team had spent 90% of the budget. They spent another 5% of the budget and 20 months of time, that's 12 months of development and eight months of testing and implementation. They did more than Lockheed did with that 90% of the budget and 10 years of time. Okay, so this system's worth looking at, if that's all I'm saying, okay? Um, so, and, and when, he, when he predicted the 12 months, he says, hey, you, you know, we don't really know until we get into it. We've got to get to see how this team goes, what the work is really like, and then we got to see how fast they get going, and I'll address some of that uh, later on in the book. Their most powerful insight? Demos. They would demonstrate every two weeks to everyone. They would bring in uh, the customers that they had, uh, the people that would use this software, and they would demonstrate how it worked every two weeks. There was demonstrable progress that they had. So after the break, we're going to do a deeper dive into some of the key components of Scrum, and we'll have some ideas about how you can use it in your business. Back in a minute. Hello, Awesomers. This is Steve Simonson, and I want to just take a quick moment and share another Awesomers review hero with you. This particular hero I found on iTunes after leaving a five-star review, and their code name is SD726. So this one's for you, SD726. The title of the five-star review goes, Amazing Content! Exclamation point. And it's short and simple and to the point. Here's what it says. Love this podcast. I've taken something away from each episode. And I just want to give you a shout out personally and say thank you for that feedback. Thank you for taking the time to share your uh, feedback with us. And, and that five-star review means a lot to us. These types of reviews really do keep us going. And so we're going to get right back to the show now. But I didn't want anybody to forget this fact that SD726 is my awesomer hero. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. All right. We are back on the awesomers.com podcast. I'm Michael Pinkowski, and today we're doing Book of the Week, and the book is Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. All right, let's take a couple of minutes and walk through some of the key concepts of Scrum. The first one is collaborate. And the the, the book is really cool. And, and remember, I, I want you to read the book because I'm... I'm just giving you some of the highlights here in a few minutes. It's not a long book. I think as an audiobook, I'm remembering that it's about eight hours, maybe eight and a half hours. So, you know, if you if you have a an hour commute every day, you're done with this book in, in less than two weeks. Um, so uh, he tells a story about being a fighter pilot and that they taught him that the, the key to being a fighter pilot was to observe. As you're flying into a combat situation, observe what's going on around you orient where you need to go, what you need to do, and then decide and act and, and just keep it simple. Observe your surroundings, orient, that is sort of, you know, make a plan, choose it, decide that's the best plan, and then act on that plan. In another part of the book, he talks about um, his time as a, a program manager working with a team that sounds like the, uh, the guys at uh, Boston Robotics. Uh, this week, uh, there was a video that came out uh, about another uh, a robot out of Boston Robotics, and it shows all the work they're doing. These guys were working on, on robotic cats, and, and they had uh, simple principles trying to teach this robot cat how to walk. And they thought about trying to put a master brain on it to control everything, and they had a terrible time with it. They spent a ton of money and a ton of code trying to get the legs to work together. 
And then they had an insight. And what they said was, let's get the same principles in place for each leg about how to move forward, how to move backward. Let's put some rules in there about don't bump into the other legs, right? So let's understand where the other legs are so that we can you know, do what we need to do as a leg. If we're bumping into each other, we're too close to each other and the cat's going to fall over. Um, and then we will, uh, in that way, the legs will learn um, what they need to do and they will learn to collaborate and they will learn to work together. And we'll just have this uh, controller at the top that says, OK, legs, what are we doing? Here's where we're going. You know, figure it out. So Jeff Sutherland's sitting there watching this thing and he says, what if we did this with people? Right. What if we did this with teams? What if we what if we got a group of uh, a team together that was trying to do something and instead of trying to be the great decision maker and tell each and every person exactly what to do all the time what if we told the team hey this is the the bigger plan and you guys need to figure out how to work together so you need to collaborate that's a, a key concept in scrum another one is plan as you go uh, I already showed you the chart about waterfall planning and, and all the steps, and they are terrible. It takes forever to try to assess every possible requirement and then to you know do all of the technical requirements because typically you're in an environment where things are changing. Um, if the actual environment or marketplace that you're going into isn't changing, the people on the team, the people in management, the goals of the company, those kinds of things are changing. And to try to build a single plan that's going to you know account for every one of those is impossible. Not hard, impossible. So don't do it. The best teams, he's noticed, have used overlapping development processes, and those teams are faster and much more flexible, and they deliver stuff. So give these teams the autonomy and a transcendent purpose. And a, tra a transcendent purpose is sort of a, the, the big vision or mission of what you're doing. I worked at a great company for a while, and, and their transcendent purpose was to create the hardware that people need to to have their historic homes you know look authentic and a lot of it frankly was was reproduction hardware right it was it was not antique hardware uh, it was reproduction stuff but they wanted to have people that had homes that were 70 100 150 200 years old be able to get the kind of hardware that they need to make that home look like it was when it was built and, and, and everybody there knew that was the transcendent purpose uh, of what it was about. We were trying to help people have these really wonderful homes and to have, you know, the, the transom windows and the um, intricate door hinges and the crystal door knobs and, and uh, the old push button electrical switches. This was the reason they came up with these products. This was their purpose was to make these homes wonderful. So if teams know what that's about, they can build what they're doing, you know, towards that end. Uh, if they, you know, in my case, I'm trying to build uh, a software package to help businesses operate. Our transcendent purpose is to help these businesses get the tools that they need to be able to automate a big part of their system and get, you know, less data and more information from their business. That'll be the transcendent purpose of, of our business. The executive's job then is to remove obstacles to let the team with its autonomy and its transcendent purpose meet those goals. And then as he watched this happen, as Jeff Sutherland watched this, he sees that the ball gets passed within the team and it moves around. 
And they, they're running all over the field and passing it all the time. Everybody's got it, you know, at a, a different time. And to him, it looked like rugby. And that's where the name Scrum comes from. It is, it is from this team moving up the field, encountering new situations, passing the ball to get around that situation, you know, rallying to the ball, doing what you need to do to get that whole unit, you know, to the goal. And when it gets to the goal, right, the team has scored. It's not just the one guy. The team has scored. So as he's looking at this thing and, and thinking about it, he says, let's try this on software development, which is where he'd been called in to help. So another key concept of Scrum is the three, what I call the three S words. I don't remember Jeff Sutherland seeing this, but I saw it. Uh, the first one is you need a Scrum master. The role of the Scrum master is to facilitate all meetings, uh, assure transparency, and help the team to discover what was getting in their way. Uh, because we need to get them to go faster and faster and faster to accelerate. So we got to get obstacles out of their way. And so he's going to guide the team to continuous improvement. And the overarching question for the Scrum Master is, how can we do what we do better? So that is his job, is to just keep this team moving, get obstacles out of their way, and help them to go faster and faster. The second S word is sprints. And we've all by now uh, heard this term. You know, you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, well, we're, you know, we just finished a sprint at, at work or whatever. Sprints are intervals. And, and for every interval, they are at, at the end of it, they are able to demonstrate working software. Um, and it, it may not be pretty. It may not be fancy, but it works. And the goal then is to build this stuff out and, and get it. Uh, so that there's something working at the end of every interval. Uh, and it should be something that the company can actually use, uh, that the customer can actually use, a fully implemented feature. And it, again, sometimes that means it has to be really small, but it's fully implemented. It's done. The third S word then is stand up. Uh, and that's really nothing but a team meeting uh, where they talk about what are the things that need to be done, which ones are you doing right now and which ones have been accomplished? And they, uh, they talk about this at the team meeting and I'll tell you in a second uh, how those go. So there are three rules then for every stand-up meeting. The first rule is, what did you do yesterday to help the team finish the sprint? And uh, so, you know, you're going to meet you know you're going to meet every day, so you know you got to get something done because you want to be able to tell everybody, I got this thing done. What will you do today to help the team finish the sprint? See the focus on getting the team to finish the sprint? What are you going to do to help the team to finish the sprint? The third one is, what obstacles are getting in the team's way? What, what things do you need? What is in your way? What, this, is, this is the role of management, right? It is their job to make you successful. So what does management need to do to help this team uh, get to the end of the sprint? The meeting is at the same time, the same place, every single day, and everyone is there. You don't miss a sprint. But you keep it to 15 minutes max, and everyone participates. So uh, you'll... 
you'll see these uh, different companies. Sometimes they do them at eight o'clock in the morning. Sometimes they do them at 10. Sometimes they do them at two. It doesn't matter when you do them. They're just held at the same time, the same place every day. And everyone's there and everybody uh, talks and everyone answers these three questions. And then the key idea is to quickly confer as a team about how to move on to victory. So it's it's a little bit just like a like a huddle in a football game, right? You just come in, what's going to work? You know, what do we need to do? And to not participate is not just lazy, it actually hurts the team. And and he says in the book, if if, the, if somebody's unwilling to do this, just get them out of the team. They are they're hurting the team. All right. The secret of scrum then is and, and, and he makes a big point of this, and I hadn't thought about it at all. But he says it alters how you think about time. Time, when you, when, you, when you really sort of get scrum into your bones, time is no longer a linear arrow to the future. It is cyclical. That is, a new sprint starts, and you work for a week or two weeks or a month, and you finish it and you review it and you kind of take a breath and a new one starts. And each sprint is an opportunity to do something totally new. And you you get to this place where there's a rhythm and a cadence um, and, and, a, and a sort of this, this cyclical feeling that says, all right, I'm doing something new. Okay, I'm struggling with it, but making progress. Okay, I'm nearly done. I've finished. What did I learn? Lots of things. What's next? A new scrum. Let's go. I'm learning something new. I'm struggling but making progress. You just kind of go into this circle. And he says it really changes how you look at life. It's no longer sort of just this long thing that that uh, is going to go on for, for a long time and you die. For him, there's this breath and this, uh, this breathing of, of each cycle um, that makes life much more interesting. And it gives, makes each day a chance to improve. All right, let's take our second break and I'll come back with a few axioms of Scrum that are kind of fun. Uh, and we'll do a quick outline of how you can implement it in your business. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. I'm Michael Pinkowski. Welcome back to Awesomers.com and the book of the week, which is Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. All right, let's do some of the axioms of Scrum. Um, if you've been listening to Steve for a while, you know he's got uh, different axioms. Uh, axiom zero, I'm pretty sure, is we don't know nothing about nothing. Um, uh, I share that one with him. We, we've both said it many, many times, and um, it's a great one to live by. Uh, so as I went through the Scrum book, I found this one section, and I thought, boy, these are, these are axioms uh, similar to that. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them because there's close to a dozen of them, I think. But uh, I'll give you a few words on each one. Again, it's an excellent book. It's, it's well written and the guy makes a lot of great points. And um, I urge you to, to read the book. The first axiom is multitasking makes you stupid. That is the idea that of the person that is, you know, on the phone and is uh, 
you know, walking the dog and cooking dinner and uh, typing an email and uh, listening to a podcast all at the same time. And, and that somehow in this world, we've, we're, we're told to maybe envy this person because they're doing it all. Uh, no, <laughs> they're not doing any one of those things well. Uh, and in fact, they're probably doing most of them rather poorly. And so multitasking makes you stupid trying to do all those things. You're far better off picking a thing, doing it, getting it done. Along the lines of that, half done is not done. There is no such thing as half done. You mean It is half started maybe, but it is nowhere near done. <laughs> I struggle with this one all the time, trying to actually, you know, put a fork in it. It's done. Uh, that's a real goal. And, and you can think that you're halfway there and you are usually nowhere near halfway there. Do it right the first time. This one I understand a little better. I do spend a lot of time trying to think about what is it that needs to get done, how are we going to do it, and and how can we do it so we only have to do it once. The the uh, Jeff uh, Sutherland doesn't use it, but the axiom that says uh, do it right the first time because we you know we don't have time to do it twice or we don't have money to do it twice. That's really true. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, boy, I've got to do this one correctly now because I don't have the time or money or resources to do it a second time. So do it right the first time. Working too hard only makes more work. Um, that The idea here is that if you put in you know, incredibly long days, you're probably not taking good care of yourself, so you're not very sharp at your regular job, which means you're going to do it slower. Um, you're probably going to make mistakes, which means you're going to making more work for yourself to do. You you actively chose to you know do work when you were tired, when you were not thinking clearly, which means you essentially chose to do things poorly, which means you chose to do things twice. So working too hard only makes more work. Don't be unreasonable. Uh, the flip of that, of course, is try to be reasonable. Try to be patient. Try to be understanding. Try to set goals that are reasonable goals. Um, you can't just walk into a development team and say, you know, and I want it by Friday because if you don't really know what it is and what it involves, uh, that could be an incredibly unreasonable goal and you'll get nowhere. You'll have lost the trust and faith of the team and you will uh, be setting yourself up for a lot of embarrassment on Friday when you don't get what you want. So be reasonable. Don't be unreasonable. No heroics. Um, again, this is all about a team doing things together uh, you don't need somebody that says, and then I came in on Sunday and worked and I figured the whole thing out all by myself. You know, um, we don't need that. We Most of the work that, that folks like us do uh, does not involve running into burning buildings. Um, it involves uh, simply, you know, working together as a team and, and getting the job done. He says, enough with stupid policies. I think I can almost say enough said about that, right? We've all seen so many of these. Uh, and I apologize for all the ones I've caused. Um, no assholes. Don't be one. Don't allow any. Really important. This is part of his, if, if you've got somebody that doesn't want to be on your team, help them. Get them off your team. Uh, you only want people on the team that want to be there. And then strive for flow. And this one resonated with me a, a couple of ways. Uh, flow is back to the idea of, of time and as a cycle and that kind of cadence and rhythm to, to things. 
Um, that's where you will you will find happiness. And we're going to talk about a lot of happiness in just a minute here. But the other part is um, there's a part of Strengths Finder, which we'll talk about sometime, uh, which gets to the same idea of of flow. It's it's a place where where things are just working the right way, and it's and it it feels effortless to make progress towards your goal. All right. So now in this book about software development and Scrum uh, planning and all of that stuff, Jeff Sutherland carves out a big chunk of time to talk about something called happiness. And, and, and um, if you were getting into this to try to figure out the secrets to software development, you'd probably stumble across this chapter and say, how fast can I skip over this? Because this has nothing to do with nothing. But you're making a mistake. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a couple of passages from the book here because he just says it so well. Um, but as a manager, as a business owner, as an awesomer, you need, you need to think about happiness. And I'll, I'll put a bow on this thing in a minute. But, but it's not a dumb thing, okay? So here's a quote from the book. Uh, Sutherland says, it intuitively makes sense that happy people do better. It's because of their success that they're happy, right? Wrong. Study after study shows that happiness precedes important outcomes and indicators of thriving. Happiness precedes the outcome and the indicator of thriving. People aren't happy because they're successful. They're successful because they're happy. So let's pause there for a second. Um, uh, people aren't happy because they're successful. If you see people that, that are happy, uh, it, it might be easy to say, well, you know, of course he's happy. Look at the car he's driving. That's awesome, you know, or look at the house she's got. That's incredible. Um, that ain't it. They are successful because they're happy. Happiness is a predictive measure, and performance improves even if people are only a little bit happier. So as a manager, you can do small things to make your team a little bit happier. This is why I buy a lot of donuts. <laughs> this, is, this is why um, I'll come in and, and uh, try to tell a joke or make people smile or um, be a little extra patient with them when something comes up in their life that they need a little bit of, uh, of uh, grace around. Um, that, that little bit of, of happiness I've seen in, in my years of experience, um, if they're a little bit happier, their performance is better. Um, so he puts this couple of sentences in here. Let me just uh, read it also. The message I want you to take away from this is simple. Even small gestures can have great impact. What Scrum is focused on is taking those small things and systematically building them into a scaffolding for success. Just one thing at a time, and you can actually change the world. So this is Sutherland saying, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this book, but the whole point is to make work go better. And when that happens, 
people are happier. And when that happens, they make work go better. <laughs> and when that, you understand, it, it, it allows, the, the, the Scrum becomes the scaffolding that people can build great foundations upon. Um, so um, it's an important idea. I, I, I urge you to give it uh, some reflection and some thought. Happiness is really important. Thankfully, Sutherland doesn't leave us there. He talks about um, uh, how do you sort of you know build on this beyond just sort of doing a few nice little things or my little you know buy donuts for people. He says at the end of each sprint, everyone answers these questions. On a scale from one to five, how do you feel about your role in the company? How do you feel about your role in the company? One to five. Next question is, on the same scale, how do you feel about the company as a whole? That is, you might feel poorly about your role and see the company doing great or the opposite. You might feel like you and your team are making great uh, progress, but you're worried about the direction of the company overall or the mood or the morale of the company overall. So we want to get both of those measures in there. Why do you feel the way you do? Why do you feel that way? And what one thing would make you happier in the next sprint? Again, we're you know looking at the sprint. We're reviewing what worked, what didn't. What is one thing that would make you happier? Right? Not he didn't choose more productive. He didn't choose faster. He didn't choose efficient. He didn't choose any of those other words. He says, what one thing would make you happier in the next sprint? So. Uh, so Steve came back from a vacation one time and he plopped down into the chair on the other side of my desk. This is all whatever, 18 years ago. And, um, and he says, Hey, I want to do this thing in our company. And I said, okay. And so, so truth be told, he did all this long before this scrum, uh, thing happened. Uh, and he said, uh, I want to do a pulse report with everybody in the company. And, uh, he says, I want to, the question number one is, how happy are you? And, uh, and we did it on a scale of, of one to 10. Um, and then uh, we had a total of five of them, if I remember right. Um, another one, what is, what is your outlook? Uh, and, and by that, we said, what is your view for how the company is doing? So you would sort of be happy today. And that would be like, what do you think about tomorrow and you know, where you're going? And then we asked him a, a couple of other questions. There was a question about getting along with others and using systems and um, and things like that. So, um, but I, but I I tell you this to reinforce that by listening to the Awesomers podcast and listening to Steve, you're doing a good thing. He's a really smart guy. Secondly, um, we saw great benefits from asking the team every week in in a in a in a meeting, how happy are you. And, and it opened up conversations, right? It got people to say, well, actually, I'm, I'm pretty upset today. And you'd say, well, why, why do you feel that way? Um, one time it led to a conversation with a couple of guys who said, you know, um, this was we were a uh, unfunded.com at the time. And this was just in front of the dot-com boom as, as it was happening. And it really happened big in, uh, in Seattle. And he says, I've got these friends and, and they had these really cool jobs and they're all out of work now. And I'm looking at the paper and they're talking about all these dot coms going out of business. 
And, you know, he says, I'm, I'm working at a dot com and my parents are asking me, did you make the right choice? Is this a good company for you to be at? Shouldn't you go to a bigger company and, you know, get more security or something? And, uh, and I talked to him and I said, hey, listen, here's the thing. We got a bunch of money in the bank. We've got customers. We are focused on making money every single day. We are stable. There's going to be great fallout around us because of people that, uh, that chose a different business model. But we are retailers. We buy low, we sell high, and, uh, and we you know, do it over and over and over again. Uh, we are a stable company. Because I asked him if he was happy and because he was candid with me and said, I'm not, I'm worried, and I said, why? I was able to get to this question that he'd been kind of carrying around and, and not getting an answer to. And, and I was able to put him at ease. Well, turns out he's a manager, so he influences a bunch of other people. And, and the whole team finally just said, there is carnage going around the dot-com businesses all around us, but we are not a part of it. We are doing our thing. We are making money. We're going to be successful. And, and we grew and grew and grew through all of that, that carnage. I tell you that because this happiness thing is a really, these are really good questions to ask in your business. All right, let's talk about how to scrum. How do you do it in your business? Step one, pick a product owner. And this might be you. This person needs to have a vision of what are you trying to do, right? So if you're making a, uh, a face cream or if you're making a uh, sophisticated algorithm or whatever it is, you need a product owner that knows what the customer wants, knows what the product needs to do, and can sort of make the big list of all of the stuff that's got to be in there, right? Then pick a team. Smaller is better. Pick three to nine people. They should all have the skills. The, 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 the team should, you know, as a, as a team, should have the skills needed to take this vision of the, the, the product owner has to reality. You don't want more than nine people because there's too many channels of communication. You end up creating inefficiencies there. You don't need extra people in there. You don't need somebody coming in just because they've got free time and uh, or whatever. Maybe you've got a, even a business owner who's not the product owner. If he doesn't need to be in that meeting, if he doesn't bring in specific skills that that team needs, leave him out. You want a small team that can talk to each other and get the job done. Then you need to pick a scrum master. Remember, this is the facilitator. They're going to create transparency. They're going to make sure that everything help, uh, happens the right way. So they're going to coach and help the team, uh, and they're going to eliminate anything that is slowing them down. Then you build and prioritize a backlog. These are all of the features that you want done. There's a great scene in, um, I think, the last season of Silicon Valley where Richard is there and he's got um, uh, this great big whiteboard and it is covered with post-it notes. And Richard staggers out of his office and walks over and, and takes a post-it note from, from uh, doing and moves it over to done. And then he goes back over to the backlog and he grabs another post-it note and he walks in. These, these post-it notes contain small parts of sprints. And, and these are small specific things that are demonstrable you know, things. Um, so he takes it, does it, and puts it back. So maybe, as an example, maybe the uh, product needed to have something where you could log in with your Facebook account, right? That's a very small, specific chunk of code. Um, so you you take that post-it off of the whiteboard, you go and you code it up, you come back and you put it in done. And, and then you can demonstrate to somebody, look, now you can log in with Facebook. Isn't that cool? 
So you want to list all of the things that you need to execute the vision and put up at least a couple of weeks worth of work, but not all of it because this stuff is going to change as you go along. So again, don't try to build the master list. Put down all that you can think of at least a few weeks because the team's going to be working. Uh, and then you can add more in later on. Then refine and estimate the backlog. And, you, and the, the trick here, uh, and there's a good explanation of this in the book. And because as, as he points out, humans are terrible, terrible at estimating. Steve can tell you I am uniquely bad at it. Um, so what you want to do is, is work on getting better estimates together. And, and then what you're able to do is assign the work for the sprint so that there's a reasonable amount in this two week sprint or one week sprint, whatever you choose, you want to make sure that all of it can in fact get done. So break the stuff down small enough that there's, you can make better estimates on it, even though you never made great ones. And then have the team work on it, and then at the end of the sprint, you talk about it, and you get faster and faster. Then make the work visible. Remember I talked about the board in the, in, uh, the TV show Silicon Valley? That's just a big whiteboard with all these Post-it notes on it. It's called a scrum board. You can also do a burndown chart, another format that he talks about in the book. Um, but put it up where people can see it. Make it visible so that they can all understand you know, where they are at, at any point in time. Hold your daily stand-up meetings. No more than 15 minutes. Same place, same time. Everybody participates. Then, at the end of the sprint, demonstrate and review. Here's the feature I built. Here's how it works. Is that, you know, is that done? Yes, it's done. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the next sprint. Then when you're done, uh, do a retrospective on the whole thing. All right, how did that go? What did we learn? What would we change? How could we, you know, what, what could we do to make better estimates of time? What could we do to, to, to organize better and communicate better? And then do it again. That's the, the beauty of this thing. That's the cyclicality, the rhythm, the cadence um, that makes this thing so great. All right, that's Scrum. Let me throw in one bonus round. We spent a little bit of time talking about happiness today. There's another great book out there. This is my little, uh, my second bonus to you. Um, Tony Shea, the guy that that uh, sort of came up with Zappos. Um, the, this is the, the story of Zappos is is amazing, and his whole thing is about delivering happiness. And again, doesn't sound like a business title, right? I mean, it should be, you know, crushing the competition or, you know, efficiently managing the resources. And instead, Tony Shea is talking about delivering happiness. And the audiobook, he narrates the audiobook, and he's kind of terrible. But you know what? It's Tony Shea. It's really him talking about it. In fact, I think if I remember right, at some points, he's got emails in there and he's gone and gotten the person that wrote him the email to read the, the email into the book uh, in a couple occasions. So it, it, it's very, very real. This is the guy. Um, he's got a couple of amazing stories, actually businesses he had before Zappos and then his selling of Zappos to Amazon and the kind of the rules of the road that he set up with Amazon on that. Um, and, and he shows you some very different approaches to running a business. It's an excellent book. But again, I'm trying to bring your focus to the word happiness in, in the course of all of this software development stuff. All right. And with that, we are done. Uh, the book was Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, the co-creator of Scrum. 
And you've been listening to me, Michael Pinkowski, a guest host on the awesomers.com uh, podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Um, Steve would be uh, on my case if I didn't remind you that you can rate and review. This is not like uh, uh, being a seller on Amazon. We can beg and plead uh, to have you rate and review uh, the podcast. It does help other people to discover the podcast. Uh, So if you get a minute, we sure would appreciate it. Uh, In the meantime, uh, keep working out there. Keep being awesomer. And uh, I'll look around for another book to talk to you about next time. Thanks very much. Hey Amazon Marketplace Professionals, this is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y dot com. Parsimony dot com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers Podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Osmers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.